We're going to get into our theme for 2021, but can we fully appreciate that 2020 is over, baby? Yeah! Woo! (laughs) And some of you thought, like, we finally made it, and then this last week happened. It's a fun year, huh? You're, like, second-guessing it now. Um, And not just that uh, it's been a rough week. Colts lost yesterday. Oh, man. Did the Bears play today? Okay, well, then we're all Bears fans now, right? Is that who we're rooting for? No, apparently not. But, hey, um, I want to tell you that as we get into this, we understand this has been a pretty difficult week. And that the coming week, in our country at least, for those from different countries, uh, you may not understand, here in the United States, there's been a lot going on, uh, particularly in the scenes on January 6th at the Capitol building. And I know uh, getting up here to preach the week after that no matter what we do, we won't say enough or we will say too much. And I just want to encourage you today that what we decided three to four months ago through a lot of prayer and time together of where we felt like the Lord was leading us in 2021, I don't know if it was ironic or prophetic, but the Lord uh, led us to talk about spiritually and biblically that the church is called to be one. And And in particular, in John chapter 17, we were moved by the words of Jesus at the Last Supper. If you're new to the Bible, there are four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the the last one that was written around 90 AD was by the disciple John himself. He accounts for more of the direct words of Jesus. And in John 14 through 17, you get the Last Supper and many of the words that were shared there. And they talk about all important, very important things. But in John chapter 17, in the earlier parts, Jesus discusses that the world is not the way it should be. And that as Christians, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not supposed to live, you know, isolated, ascetic, you know, monastic lives. Not every Christian is called to live as a monk. And at the same time, We are not called to be just like the whole rest of the world, and no one would see a difference in us. We are to be in the world, but not of the world, to transform it, to lead people to Christ. And the way that we do that in the local church, as you're going to see in John chapter 17, is by setting the example as Christians of what it means to love each other well. And i got to be honest with you. If you feel convicted this morning by what I'm sharing... I can tell you, first of all, I did not want to preach this. I've not been looking forward to this all week long. And secondly, I have been convicted myself this last week. And I posted online, kind of my prayer for this year is, I have been quick to speak and slow to listen. Anybody been there? Ironically, James tells us in the New Testament to do the exact opposite. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. And I think we could use some of that this week. And we're going to talk about that after we go through John 17 and set the theme of oneness in Christ together, we're going to look at our five core values in the church, and particularly the first of our five core values, passionate worship. These are the things that we want us to be united on as a local church. But at the end of it, I'm then going to address that I think the enemy, Satan, Satan just means adversary, the devil, is very real and spiritually desires to be destructive to local church. And that he has a numerous ways that he brings disunity within the local church to get us to fight and look exactly like the rest of the world. So needless to say, you're going to drink from the fire hose this morning. Uh, get ready. You're going to need a pen in the book or the seat rack in front of you and ready to take notes on that car because like my notes have notes this morning. 
And you're going to get lost if, if you don't try and stay up with me. We're going to look at John chapter 17 to begin with, though. Are you ready to study God's word, church? So here it is. Jesus is at the Last Supper, and I believe he's going to show us that we are meant to be one with God and each other, that that's the heart of what Jesus is sharing here. He says this in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking to the 12, eventually it'll be the 11. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, in the future, believe in me through their message. Almost as if he's talking to us. That all of them may be one. In other words, united. Father, just as you are me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You're like, what's this, you and me, and I, uh, what do you mean, God's in me? What the Bible teaches is that Jesus is talking to the disciples at the Last Supper. He prays through the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. The next day is what we call Good Friday, when Jesus wakes up, or or, excuse me, they, they come to him there in the garden, they take him away. He will be crucified, nailed to a cross, where he will suffocate to death, as he'll be whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times. And he will there give up his life on the cross. In the Gospel of Matthew, when he gives up his life on the cross, it says that the temple curtain that separates the most holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which was the box that had the Ten Commandments where the presence of the Lord resided. Uh, The temple, literally in Hebrew, is Beth El. Beth is house. El is God. It's the house of God. They build a building for him. And when that temple curtain is torn in two at Jesus' crucifixion, the giving up of his spirit, it signified that the spirit of God was no longer in a building. That the New Testament is very clear on this, that our body as Christians is a temple of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that Christians are God by any means. It means that God can work in us. And if we repent of the junk in our life, that people can get a glimpse of the Lord in the world. And so when he's telling them be like us, that we are one, he's saying that he he wants to be one with us, one with you today, right where you're at, that you can have God with you wherever you go. And then two, that we are to be one with each other. Look what he says in verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I don't know about you, but Christians don't look much different in the world today than non-Christians when it comes to reconciliation and unification. And look, I'm not saying that we can't have, we believe in the Bible, we believe in strong theological viewpoints, as we'll talk about major on the majors, but minor on the minors. I'm, I'm saying today that as Christians, we must be the unifiers in our community. And so our teaching team was talking about months ago, if the church doesn't do this well in the climate in Western civilization, who is going to do it? You see, the the, the world teaches something very different than what I'm describing. The world teaches that you should go out and get yours because people are evil. They're going to do bad stuff. So you need to protect yourself. So you need to go out and get yours. You need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to work hard. You need to achieve so that you can get and you can have power and authority and might and all this stuff. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible actually teaches the opposite. It says, Jesus' words tells us you should deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow him. That you actually share in the suffering of Christ as a follower of Jesus. We tell people, give your life to Christ. You're going to go to heaven. It's paradise. It's great. But then we forget to tell them, but now you're going to start picking up your cross daily. Sacrifice for the kingdom. That in the animosity we find ourselves in our culture, you're going to set the tone for how to live differently. 
Verse 23 goes on, I in them and you in me so that I may be brought to complete unity. They may be brought to complete unity in the local church. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have given uh, me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that, get this, that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be, myself may be in them. That the love that his heavenly father has for him, that it might be in us, that love and compassion for other people in the world around us. And my question that I wanna ask you, in 2021, which one are you living for? Which one are you living for? See, what Jesus just said there is that we should live for our relationship with our heavenly father, right? That he is the one we are to live for. We should live for each other in the body of Christ. That's what the analogy in the New Testament to talk about the local church, that we should sacrifice for one another to love each other, to show the world what it means to love people. Are we doing that well? I'm talking, you know, globally. Are we really doing that well? Prob probably not. And I was thinking about this. Uh, the culture says very different. Who's the one you're supposed to live for? Come on, you know the answer. Yeah, me, baby. I'm gonna live for me. I'm gonna get mine. And you're gonna get yours. And I'm gonna try to take it from you. And we are in competition with one another, right? And then I'm gonna show you on my Instagram how I'm beating you. And I'm better at life than you, right? Like this is the way that we are taught to live and that we live for the one of myself or maybe it's for my career or even of a good thing like living for your family, that your primary aspect of the one you're living for in 2021 is for your family. And that's not bad in and of itself, but it's not what the Bible teaches us the one should be. Or if, can we get real? And I just want to tell you, again, I, I'm not, I have no agenda when it comes to the things happening last week or this week in our culture. I, I'm concerned about something different. I, I'm concerned that, biblically speaking, we're missing the point, that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, and the most important thing is that salvation in Christ is found only through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and that when you understand that, you know that you're never alone, and God is with you, and you can face the difficult year and years ahead because he's always going to be with you no matter what you're facing, and we're missing out on that because we're fighting different battles. And, and that should be the primary thing that we're concerned with, that the one for some of us in 2021 may be our political party and which side that we're on. Can we get even more real for just a second? I, this hasn't got me in trouble this morning, so I hope it doesn't get me in trouble this service. I was talking to my wife about this just yesterday. It, when you look at the New Testament, it, there was a lot of tumultuous things happening in the Roman Empire. And in the Middle East, where Jesus was, they, they were very much a part of that. And there were a lot of political pressures from different perspectives within the Roman Empire. And so my question to you is, if Jesus is who we are to follow, and being a, a Christian means to follow Christ, to, to learn his ways and to follow in his footsteps, and we want to get this right when it comes to politics, which political party in the Roman Empire was Jesus a part of? The Bible makes absolutely no mention of it whatsoever. Almost as if that wasn't the primary thing Jesus was concerned with. 
And I wonder for how many of us we have gotten distracted because we have made the one that we are living for something else. Look, I, I just, again, I, I don't want to, um, I'm not doing this to like push anybody, okay? I'm serious about that. And I really, my fear in preaching, I said I didn't want to preach on this because my fear is you wouldn't hear the heart of Christ and it's love and compassion for every single person here and online. But this last year, I've seen that for many Christians, and I want to tell you, if you're not a Christian, we say this every week, we believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. You're not even a Christian yet. You're just searching out what you believe. You're trying to study what the Bible says. We started this church for you, and I mean that. This morning's message, though, is really for Christians. That as Christians, in the last year, many of us have become, and rightfully so, more isolated. Because we've had to be, right? And, and because we've gotten more isolated, we've become a little more fear-based and anxiety has taken over. And when that happens, we get protective and then we turn it into us against them. And, and rather than the Bible teaches, it's all us, right? And in and, and this us and them, and we get fearful and angry and then we turn on each other. And I just wanna tell you that that fear and anxiety and that isolation is not how human beings were meant to live. Do you realize that in perfect creation, God created the universe. Everything's perfect. Adam's there. He's perfect. He can like talk to the animals. Everything's great. It's uh, sunny and 75 every day. He walks around naked. Nobody cares. It's amazing. And then what happens? Genesis 2, 18. Everything's perfect, but the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not talking about romance, by the way. It's just, it's not good for humans to be isolated. Needed human companionship. And so I would just challenge us and encourage us that the one that the Bible teaches is to be one with God and one with others, particularly within the body of Christ, to show to the world what it's like to love each other well. And I don't want us to set the tone for that. Will you pray with me? God, uh, help us in 2021. I, I know I need this. I need slower to speak, quick to listen, God, to hear how other people are doing, not live from a place of pride or conceitedness. So I pray, God, that you would speak to each of us. Take away my words, God, whatever your spirit has to say to everybody here and online. I pray it would speak right to our souls. We love you, Jesus. We invite you in. Pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So when we talked about what it was that, we, if we're going to discuss what it means to be one as the body of Christ, well, we thought, man, we could just study the Bible and tell people, here's how you'd be one. And then we began to realize that well, now we're just telling people you should live a certain way, but we're not telling them how we're doing that. So we decided for nine and a half years, we have had a way of the types of values we wanted our community to unite around. And those values, we call our five core values. And I want to tell you, uh, we can put them up there. Over the next five weeks, we'll be discussing these. And the first one is passionate worship. I'm going to talk about that this morning as a way that it unifies us within the body of Christ. But I want to encourage you, this is kind of the Mercy Road family of churches. If you're new here, we're one of four Mercy Road churches meeting this morning. They all have their own life teaching and worship, and they're becoming their own legal entity. Uh, we believe God can use someone else as much as he could use us. There's no just like that person's anointed and everyone else doesn't have the Holy Spirit. No, everybody has the Spirit of God, and we we're going to believe that God can use them. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of people reach for Christ, and God is changing lives. But what I want to share with you this morning is as we talk about this as a family of churches to unite around these things, we've realized that for many people, 
um, we miss the point, and then we think it's just about Mercy Road. There's no Mercy Road section of heaven. When Jesus is talking to the disciples the Last Supper, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about all Christians. The body of Christ is not Mercy Road. The body of Christ is the, the greater body globally around the world. We all clear on that? Kind of. So when we get into this, I'm going to talk about these five core values, but I believe that they do apply theologically speaking, to any local church, but these are the ones that we unite around. And the first one is passionate worship. Passionate worship. So we talked last year, for the whole year, it was the year of worship. And by the way, we got a lot of uh, worship songs that are being developed and coming out because of that. And we're still gonna do quarterly Mercy Road Family of Churches worship gatherings um, four times this year, so get excited for that. But I, I, this morning, as we talk about passionate worship, I realize we've talked more about worship than we have the passionate side. Worship is about being devoted to something, surrendering and submitting to it with reverence. And what we've wanted to do as uh, followers of Jesus is to live that out passionately. Do you know how passion changes something? A anybody in here, you're a pretty decent cook? Come on now, be honest. This is not, boast away. Yeah, raise a nice night. Okay. I thought I was a good cook, and then I got married. And this is a true story. I made my wife eggs. Breakfast in bed, very romantic. Very, I want to win big points with this. And then I made the eggs, and my wife, Lisa, who's amazing and loves me, she said, she smiled, and she said, Josh, uh, did you put any pepper in these eggs? And I was like, no, I didn't put pepper in the eggs. I'm making eggs. Why I put pepper in there? She's like, oh. She's like, did you put any salt in the eggs? I was like, no, I didn't put any salt in the eggs. I was making eggs. And she's like, so you just took eggs and you put it in the pan and then served it to me. I was like, yeah, that's eggs. <laughs> Anybody out there? Come on, fellas. Food is sustenance. What do I care what it tastes like? It's about protein. You got to count those calories right now. I'm just kidding. But like, I, I was, she was like blown away because she's very passionate about the way things taste. She wants, she wants to, every single thing she eats, she wants to make sure that it has nice flavor to it. How many of you are like that? You ever meet somebody who's passionate about something, passionate about food? Yeah, okay, well, not as much as my friend Justin Masterson. Anybody know Justin? He used to preach here. He's now at Northeast. He's a professional baseball player. Well, he didn't know I was going to share this story, but I'm sure he's passionate about baseball, but the guy is more passionate about breakfast burritos than any human being I've ever met. <laughs> he's described eating a breakfast burrito to me. I thought I was looking at like a Picasso painting or something, and he was like, oh, man, I just get the avocado, and then you toast the outside, and I get a little tapatio sauce, and I just was like... Justin, man, I've never heard anybody describe a burrito that way. In fact, Matt Mellinger, a producer in the back, he, he ever, yeah, until you order a Subway sandwich for Matt, you order a Subway sandwich for Matt, he's like, I want 17 olives on this side of the sandwich, and then I want a shake and a half, not two shakes, shake and a half of salt and pepper on top of that, and then one string of the olive oil, not two, you give me two, it's gross, just give me one. He's like, very specific, because Matt is a good chef and he loves good food. I'm not wired that way. But you all know what it's like when passion enters it. I don't care what it tastes like, but when somebody does care, it changes it, doesn't it? I've seen some apathetic worshipers of the Lord who don't do it very passionately sometimes. And I'm not talking about singing in a service. That's, of course, a small part of it. The Bible teaches that proper worship is not just singing in a church service. Let me show you in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to come back at the very end of John 17, so we set the theme of one for the next five weeks. But this week, as we talk about passionate worship, I want to look at Romans 12. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, 
After Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the gospel is spread around the Roman Empire, and there's a church meeting in the city of Rome, and he writes to encourage them and challenge them how to unite them as one. And he says this in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Then get this. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship is to live your life as a living sacrifice for God's purposes. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give, about what you surrender, about how God uses you to love other people in your life well, at work, in your home. The example you set for people and the way that you care for people, that's what's stake. That's what he says when he says, like, pick up his cross daily and follow him. Jesus, out of love and compassion, will go to the cross. He was God incarnate. He could have stopped it. But he, uh, he desired that every single person, no matter how broken we are, could be forgiven and made right with a perfect God because of his sacrifice on the cross for you. You're like, dude, you don't know how many drugs I've done. You don't know what I've drank. You don't know what the things I've done. I want to tell you, he's going to require change of you. That's what comes with repentance. But he loves you right where you're at. He draws you home to him, draws near to him because of his crucifixion. You could be made right with the perfect God. You don't have to worry about if I would die someday, what's going to happen to me. You can know that you will receive not only salvation, but you receive God at work in your life now. Verse two, he goes on, do not conform to the pattern of this world like we were talking about. He also says in John 17, the world tells us to live for you, but he's like, don't conform to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That being a passionate worshiper of Jesus means to live your life as a living sacrifice, to passionately live for him. So, John 10, by the way, tells us that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy in our life, but Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full or abundantly. So if you want to live, don't you want to live life to the full in 2021? I mean, how many times did you wake up and go, this year I really just want to kind of have a mundane, apathetic year? I want to look back. I want this to be the mediocre line. No, this year, what it would look like to passionately live for the Lord in your life as a Christian. A passionate Christian really lives really lives in a way that God uses them. So I got a bunch of notes. Get ready, because I'm going to move fast. And the first way that a passionate Christian lives, a passionate Christian lives with humility. Ooh, this might be the hardest one. Uh, look what the next verse says in Romans 12. In verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So don't think that passion means that you have to achieve in order to please God. That you got to go push yourself. That what passion in the life of a Christian is not what you achieve for his kingdom, but how you can have enough humility that he could actually use you. Very different than what the world teaches. The world teaches us that we're, we got to be special. We got to be set apart. We got to be this amazing thing that, that you got to go change the world and do all of this stuff. The way you change the world is just by being humble enough to have God use you. It's all over our movies, right? Like Harry Potter, he's the savior. You look at, uh, my kids like the Lego movie, the special. You remember the special in the Lego movie? Or old school Matrix, Neo, he was the one, right? Like there's always someone. And Biblically speaking, the Christian, you are not meant to become this special, incredible person because Jesus already is. He's the Savior. You're not. I'm not. 
We're meant to have enough humility that God could actually use us. The Bible teaches you're not the one Jesus is. A passionate Christian lives with humility. Number two, a passionate Christian lives for each other. Look at verses four and five say, for just as each one of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. That there's not a whole bunch of bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ. And Ephesians 4 tells us when we use the unique gifts that he has given us spiritually and we come together, it's only then do you see the full measure of Christ on the planet. That literally the body of Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, but the body of Christ today is the physical body of believers when we actually work together rather than isolated. That when we live for each other, in verses uh, through verse 8 there, we'll talk about those gifts. And you might look through and say, which gifts do I have? While I don't think that we have to be the special one, I do think there is something special happening in our family of churches right now. And it's this, that over the last year, we have sent out hundreds of people that we could have kept here to project jobs and all kinds of stuff, but we sent them out to plant new churches that we are eventually spinning off as separate legal entities. And that for the first time, people who had been sitting in chairs for years were going out and actually reaching other people for Christ. We saw multiple people for the first time join a staff of a local church and never worked in church in their entire life. And you know what happened because of that? We baptized, I believe, more than double what we baptized the previous year. In the middle of a pandemic, when we couldn't even meet a lot of times, we saw 103 people get baptized. It's incredible. I mean, when we started this church nine years ago, there was like 12 people in our house. And I just think what the, none of that is a credit to an individual or a person, and we've demonstrated that by sending them out, is that the Spirit of God is still working through people. He's still living and active. We use our gifts to be used by Him, and we live for others rather than ourselves. I want to encourage you, if you're new to our church, and you have never been through Rooted, or you've been here for years, and you have never been through Rooted, or you're attending online right now, and you've never been through Rooted, I would encourage you to go through it. It's only 10 weeks long. You have a short devotional study that you're doing five days of the week, and then you come together once a week in a smaller group, and you discuss what you've been studying. And we have people who aren't Christian or who have been Christian for decades go through it. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't gone through it, sign up today. It starts this Wednesday, and we will have a group online. And if we need to offer a group that's not on Wednesday night, we can try and figure that out as well. We want everybody to be able to go through it, to be rooted in Christ. Because point number three, I believe it's only when we're rooted in Christ that we could live with the humility and love for each other and to live out of love. Point number three, if you're taking notes, a passionate Christian lives out of love. Now, don't get mad at me. This is just what God used the Apostle Paul to write to the church in Rome. He tells them in verse nine, love must be sincere, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So many things listed in those few short verses of just caring for other human beings. 
practicing hospitality, loving it one another. If we have zeal, it's for the Lord. He is our one. The body of Christ is our one. Those are the things that are the primary things we are living for as followers of Jesus. The rest of the world may do differently. And can I be honest with you? Can we get just real for just a second? Loving people well in real relationships is the primary way the gospel has always spread. And with what's happened in the capital. What's happened in the last year in our culture? And for Frank, even many years before that in American society. And the divisiveness and the division, if there is any place where people are going to be drawn together and reconciled, the place should be where the Spirit of God resides in the local church. He asks us to be one. And, and if I could just encourage you and challenge, this is a challenge to myself even, where is the primary aspect that we are to change things in a healthy way in our society, biblically speaking. If you're passionate about protecting life for the unborn, if you're passionate for ending racism and bringing racial equity, if you are passionate for creating uh, healthy uh, opportunities for every person in our society, as a follower of Jesus, where is the primary place we are to change those things in our culture? I didn't mean to say this, and I've said this all morning long. The Bible does not teach us, go therefore and make social influencers of all nations. He doesn't say, go therefore and make business leaders who change the culture of all nations. And those things are good things. Where does he say the primary means for ending injustice in our culture is? Discipleship. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, don't miss next week. Our, our second uh, of our core values that we're going to discuss is that spiritual apprenticeship and discipleship, that the primary place that Jesus requires us to go and make things is not through being a social media influencer and telling people how to live. If we are a Christian and we are doing those things, but we are not first discipling people in actual loving relationship, we are missing the primary thing Jesus described and told us to do. Real relationship where we can disagree with each other. And we can talk through things. And I'm not going to love you even if you disagree with me for the rest of your life. That's the place that truly changes our culture. That's what Jesus asks us to do in relationship. I was telling my own discipleship huddle. I didn't say this at the other services. Like the primary place that we need to spread the gospel, that we're going to change the world, is in prioritizing discipling people in our lives. That's why our year-long discipling relationships we call discipleship huddles this is the primary thing that they are doing is to say, this is your place to work this stuff out together because that's how we love people well. That's how you live out of relationships. That's how we build the spiritual zeal for the Lord. And I encourage you, uh, by the way, tomorrow morning, we're going to start and we're going to pray for disciple making in our state. It's leading up to March 21st and the March for a Million as we come together with a number of other local churches and we worship down on the circle outdoors, uh, on the circle in Indianapolis. We've already got the permitting for it and we're going to be worshiping outdoors with at least 15 or more different churches and we're going to be praying and fasting for 21 days, asking the Lord to make a million disciples for Christ by 2050. By the way, 2050 is almost the number of miles across each county in our state. 
And over the next decade, we want to get as many counties in our state as possible. This, isn't, this goes well beyond Mercy Road. It's part of the Multiply Indiana family of church vision that we're calling everybody to pray and to fast and to ask the Lord that every county in our state would be reached for Christ. And we raise up disciple makers that are sent out and that we would actually see a million disciples made for Christ in our lifetime. It's been our vision since there was 40 people in the church. We've been preaching and talking about it. It's not gonna happen just through Mercy Road. It's gonna happen from followers of Jesus who actually live this out. By the way, if it's your first weekend here or you've been here for years, I hope you're here for a lifetime. But if God only has you here for months or weeks or a year or two and you go to another church, great. Because when we get to heaven, there's no Mercy Road section of heaven. It's a part of the greater kingdom. The one that we are to live for is God's work on earth. And we only get so many years to do it. I'm fired up about it. We're going to pray and fast for 21 days. Fasting, you give something up and you rely on the Lord. By the way, you can fast from anything. You want to fast from Netflix, you probably should do it. But you can try that out. You can fast from social media. I don't know what it is. And when you miss it, you turn to the Lord in prayer. But you know what? In the New Testament, fasting was always food. So I would encourage you to have at least one food element as a part of your fasting. To say, I'm gonna surrender this aspect. I probably wouldn't make it water. That's not a good idea. But anything else, fast and pray for 21 days with us. By the way, you can get a devotional, just quick prayer guide that Pastor Rashad put together uh, that will get text to you every morning. If you just sign up for our devotions, you can email us at info at mercyroad.cc. They will also be posted to social media. The fourth and final thing though, and I'm out of time, but I'm gonna do this. And I'm telling you guys, I think this is super important, that a passionate Christian lives for peace. Look, we need to fight for justice, absolutely. Primary place we do that though is discipleship, disciple making. And then once we're doing that, then we also speak out in truth into our culture, but we also should live for peace. A passionate Christian lives for peace. Look what, what Paul writes here in Romans 12. Again, he's talking about passionate worship and he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Then get this. Uh, this convicted me. I don't know if it convicts you. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with people who agree with you. Live at peace with everyone. It was actually Martin Luther King Jr., who I know we'll be remembering next weekend, that said darkness, and I double-checked. He actually said this in 1963. It's not one of those fake ones. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That if we set the tone as being loving peacemakers in our culture, that's what will drive out the evil and the darkness as we close out our time, I wanna remind us though that we are in a spiritual battle and the enemy doesn't want us to live this way. He wants to destroy the local church. He wants to create disunity and animosity. And that's why in, in John chapter 17, the verses that preceded the section we started with, he says in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, Jesus says, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. He says, he wants us to be one as they are one, but he needs to protect us. What's he protecting us from? Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, the Satan, the Hasatan, the, the adversary, the devil, the enemy. 
who has a spiritual plan to be destructive to the local church that's meant to set the tone for hope, love, and reconciliation that human beings would see what it was like because Jesus set the perfect example of what it means to be human. And yet, we don't see that. And I just wanna, if you wanna write these down, I, I've got some ways that Satan uh, is destroying the local church today. Things that he wants to do. When Satan uses to destroy unity in the church, one, he uses false teachings, and I got some references there. You can find a lot more references on that one. Two, majoring on the minors. Making a big deal about these little theological things rather than the primary things, like Jesus is fully God, fully human, the only means of eternal salvation. That's a pretty big thing. But arguing about whether we sang that song right or not, probably not the biggest deal. Augustine said it this way, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things, charity. He also wants us to use unresolved conflict to bring division in our local church. Philippians 4 talks about that. He wants to use growing pains to be destructive. That is, the gospel spreads, and, and, and it spreads rapidly. In Acts chapter 6, they begin to fight over which widows are getting helped and when. And the enemy loves to use those types of things, our growing pains in the local church. Or this might be the biggest one, a whole lot of references on this one. Loose tongues. The enemy loves to use some loose tongues. You know what I'm saying? Well, loose tongues, we all tracking. Like you say things before you could even think about it. I do it too. I'm not slow to speak as the Bible teaches us. The enemy loves to use that to be destructive. And even sometimes when we're fighting for justice, we do it from a place of hate and animosity towards a people group. That or that, and then out of the love and compassion that Jesus exemplified for us. Finally, our own bias or favoritism. That even in the, the book of James in chapter two, that they were favoring people who were wealthier and had fancier stuff. And they said, it shouldn't be that way. No matter your cultural background, bias or favoritism should not be the way that the enemy is destructive in the local church. See, as we conclude our time, I want to remind us of those first few verses that we read in John 17. About what the local church, what we as Christians are meant to look like. Jesus, these are Jesus' words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, us today, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And look at this. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The way the world sees that Jesus was sent by the heavenly Father as the eternal sacrifice so that everybody could have eternal life, experience God in their life today, go to heaven when they pass. The way that the world sees that is through the love and compassion of the local church and the way we treat each other. And so I would just challenge you. I'm not even going to encourage you. I'm just going to challenge you and me this morning that we might heed these words, fight for, for loving each other well, even when we disagree. The disciples didn't agree on everything. We can have unity in our diversity, but we must major on the majors. We must not let the enemy be destructive to what the Lord is doing. And so if you're like me and you've got this wrong in the last year and you wanna say, I wanna start living differently, I wanna be a peacemaker to live the way that Jesus encourages me to, I wanna give you the opportunity to respond with me today. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person who is in this room, for every person who is attending online, for the people who may watch this throughout the week or months ahead. And I pray a Holy Spirit that the same God that created the universe that has the power to overcome all sin and darkness is 
with us right now. And then if we turn to you, you could change our culture. You could change our cities and our state, our country, God. That the divisiveness and the anger and the animosity and the way that people are turning each other and fighting one another, that we might set the example, Lord, as followers of you that Jesus set for us to bring people together rather than push them apart, that we may be one as you are one. And so, God, right now, if anybody would like to be that today, this week, to walk through and be a peacemaker in their workplace, in their home, in their school, in this culture around us, I invite you to pray this with me. God, I need you. I want to I be one with you and with others. And so on this morning, I've already given you my life. Now I surrender my will to you. God, I, I pick up that cross you teach me to carry. Help me to be a living sacrifice of true and proper worship and devotion to you. May I do it passionately in my life. Live with all humility. Live for other people. Live out of love, Lord Jesus, and live to bring peace. Use me. I'm fully yours. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For those who prayed that, God, we pray that you would protect us from the enemy, the evil one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, Lord. Not on your watch. We surrender our church to you. We surrender our lives to you. Use us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.